This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. South Korean and Japanese officials said that North Korea test-fired an intercontinental ballistic missile into the exclusive economic zone off Japan's western coast. The missile had a range of 15,000 kilometers, meaning it could potentially reach America, according to Japan's defense minister. While North Korea has fired an unprecedented volley of missiles over the past two months, most have been short-range. Observers worry another nuclear test may be imminent. At the sidelines of an APEC summit in Bangkok, America's Vice President Kamala Harris called an emergency meeting for representatives from Australia, Canada, Japan, New Zealand and South Korea. Elon Musk abruptly closed Twitter's headquarters until Monday, as his unique management style appears to have caused a twexodus. Staff at the social media company were given a hardcore ultimatum by the new owner, leaving them the choice between long hours and high intensity and a severance package. Hundreds, if not thousands, are reported to have plumped for the latter. Nancy Pelosi is to step down as leader of the Democratic Party in America's House of Representatives, a position she has held since 2003. Ms. Pelosi, the first woman to lead either major party in Congress, will continue to serve as a representative for her Californian district. The Republican Party had just regained control of the House. Ms. Pelosi's replacement will lead a minority. The ruptures at the Nord Stream gas pipelines in September were the result of grievous sabotage, an investigation by Swedish prosecutors concluded. The controversial pipelines were created to transport natural gas from Russia to Germany through the Baltic Sea, but tensions over Ukraine meant Nord Stream 2 was never operational. Prosecutors found traces of explosives but declined to comment on probable suspects. Inflation in Japan, which excludes fresh food, accelerated to 3.6% year-on-year in October, its highest level since 1982, in a country which has worried more often about deflation in the decade since. That exceeded the Bank of Japan's target rate of 2%, but has not altered expectations that it will stick to its guns and not hike interest rates, resisting the hawkish winds that have swept round the rest of the world. The newly installed CEO of FTX denounced the complete failure of corporate controls and absence of trustworthy financial information at the collapsed crypto exchange. In a bankruptcy filing, John Ray described the situation as the worst he had seen in 40 years of overseeing liquidations. FTX's implosion has left behind one million creditors and triggered several investigations. Italy's Catholic bishops released the country's first report documenting cases of clerical sex abuse. They also revealed they were researching more than 600 cases on file at the Vatican, dating back to 2000. But after decades of inaction, the report itself was disappointing in scope. It identified just 89 victims and limited itself to allegations reported to Italian church authorities within the past two years. And fact of the day. Almost $3 trillion. The peak market value of all cryptocurrencies last year. Today it is down to $830 billion. And now here's a deeper look at the day ahead. COP creeps towards a conclusion. 
COP27, the UN climate conference held this year in Egypt, is meant to end on Friday. But expecting the talks to conclude on time was optimistic. Negotiations have stuttered and stalled throughout the past two weeks. On Thursday night, all that was available from the summit was a 20-page outline of suggestions for a global climate plan, in which almost everything had yet to be finalized. COPs often run over time. COP21, at which the Paris Agreement was signed, and COP26 in Glasgow stretched into an extra day. Negotiations at this year's summit have proceeded especially slowly. The biggest dispute is over a loss and damage fund. Poor countries are demanding that rich ones pay them for the damage they have already incurred because of rising temperatures. There is also debate over whether summiteers should commit to phasing down the use of all fossil fuels, including natural gas, which is cleaner than other sorts. Hopes for a substantive outcome are fading. APEC meets in Bangkok Asian countries have hosted a trio of summits in recent weeks. After the ASEAN summit in Cambodia and the G20 in Indonesia comes the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Forum in Thailand. During the three-day conference, which continues on Friday, APEC's 21 members are expected to ratify the Bangkok Goals, a plan for climate action. That is welcome. But two concerns hang over proceedings. The first is anxiety about the global economy. Smaller APEC countries fear economic downturns will hit America and China, their main trading partners. And governments in the Asia-Pacific, like those elsewhere, are also confronted with rising inflation. The second worry is whether America and China, the two biggest APEC members, can credibly cooperate in an age of strategic rivalry. China's President Xi Jinping will be working on the corridors in Bangkok. But America's President Joe Biden will not. His Vice President Kamala Harris is standing in. The Asia-Pacific is no one's backyard and should not become an arena for a big power contest, Mr. Xi declared on Thursday. Would that it were so. Russia's G20 Hangover On Friday, Russia's foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, will discuss the new geopolitical environment at a meeting in Moscow of the Council Heads of the Subjects of the Russian Federation, an assembly of regional governors and high-ranking officials. Most governors are fiercely loyal to President Vladimir Putin and are likely to give Mr. Lavrov a warm homecoming after his challenging week representing Russia at the G20 summit in Bali. His boss declined an invitation. Western leaders at the G20 made clear their fury at Russia's invasion of Ukraine. But Mr. Lavrov will be more concerned about subtler rebukes from leaders who have been more equivocal. Xi Jinping, China's president, a crucial ally for Mr. Putin, decried the weaponization of food and energy an apparent reference to the painful economic consequences of the war. Russia's agreement on Thursday to extend a deal allowing exports of Ukrainian grain via the Black Sea could help assuage Mr. Xi's concerns, but patience among Russia's friends is wearing thin. 
Brazil's New Era of Diplomacy Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva will not be inaugurated as Brazil's president, an office he first held nearly 20 years ago, until January 1st. But the new, old president-elect is already on his diplomatic travels. On Wednesday, he spoke in Egypt at COP27, the UN's climate conference. Lula said, Brazil is back, and promised to fight deforestation in the Amazon rainforest. On Friday, he is in Lisbon, at the first bilateral summit between Brazil and Portugal since 2016. Lula's approach to environmental and foreign policy is markedly different from that of Jair Bolsonaro, the right-wing populist he beat in October's election. Mr. Bolsonaro did not attend the previous two COP summits and, on his watch, deforestation in the Amazon spiked by 73 percent between 2018 and 2021. Whereas Mr. Bolsonaro discouraged foreign help to protect the rainforest, Lula has asked for it. That is already paying off. After Lula's election, Germany and Norway said they would once again contribute to the Amazon Fund of money used by Brazil for conservation. The Weinstein Scandal on Film She said, the first major Hollywood film to focus on Hollywood's most recent major scandal is released in America on Friday. It stars Zoe Kazan and Carrie Mulligan as Jodie Cantor and Megan Twohe, journalists at the New York Times who in 2017 investigated sexual abuse by Harvey Weinstein, a powerful producer. The pair's findings ignited the hashtag MeToo movement and chipped away at the film industry's institutional sexism. The director of She Said, Maria Schrader, and its screenwriter, Rebecca Lenkovich, are both women, which before 2017 would have been unusual for a drama about a newspaper. Their film follows a formula established by All the President's Men, 1976, about the Washington Post's Watergate sleuthing, by chronicling the exhausting, unglamorous work of frustrating phone calls and long editorial meetings. This explosive story deserved a less conventional telling, but it makes some sharp feminist points. The two newshounds contend with postnatal depression, barroom lectures, and the school run. Those were never an issue for the men at the post. The winners of last week's crossword. Thank you to everyone who took part in our weekly crossword published in the weekend edition of Espresso. The winners chosen at random from each continent were Asia, Karmajit Bharti, Nangal, India, North America, Eric Thorson, Kingston, Ontario, Canada, Central and South America, Sylvia Frund, San Salvador, El Salvador, Europe, Thierry Rajao Bellina, Montpellier, France, Africa, Paul Lay, Pretoria, South Africa, Oceania, Roberta MacDonald, Runaway Bay, Australia. They all gave the correct answers of Ron DeSantis, Reboot, Sohan, and Sharif. Check back tomorrow for this week's crossword. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. 
On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 GMT on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Friday. Which author produced a hoax autobiography of the reclusive tycoon Howard Hughes? Thursday. Which rock group produced the international hit Chasing Cars? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Audre Lorde. Poetry is not only dream or vision. It is the skeleton architecture of our lives. That's The World in Brief from The Economist. Available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.